Welcome to the Faith Lakeside Podcast. Each week you'll hear another great message that will help you know God and make Him known in your life. Join us each Sunday at 1045 a.m. and throughout the week in small groups to make the most of your learning experiences. Now, sit back, relax with a great cup of coffee and a notebook and enjoy this week's message. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open them up to the book of Philippians, the letter of Philippians that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. And uh, we're going to be looking in chapter 2, verse 12. But as we do that, just some reminders of what it is we're studying as we dive back into Philippians. You know, we've, we took the month of December off to uh, focus on Advent, and then we had three weeks of church life, faith life, uh, reminding us about the importance of church membership, uh, reminding us exactly what, what church life should look like in giving and, uh, so, uh, and in attendance. And so just if you, if you had opportunity and uh, you missed those, go back and watch those. Some good stuff reminding us about the importance of being connected as a church family. But we are going to jump back into this letter of uh, Paul to the Philippian church. And remember, it's uh, titled Zane, or to live. That's a a Greek word that literally means to live. And so as we look here in the book of Philippians, this letter to the church in Philippi that's also relevant for us, we're going to review just a few verses, and I'm not going to dive into them, but just read them to you to remind you where we've journeyed so far. Philippians 1.21, Paul says to the church, For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. That we understand this perspective that our life is to be lived to Christ and that for believers who die in Christ, we actually have an even better life awaiting us in eternity. So to live here today is for the sake of Christ. To die today is to be in His presence and receive all the promises of our salvation. And so how exciting is that? Uh, quick reminder, if you're a kid and you didn't get sermon notes or the catechism coloring page, they're back there now. I didn't have them out at the beginning of service because they were still sitting on the printer, so forgive me. Uh, yeah, turn that in, man. Uh, drawing will be in a couple of weeks, so, uh, and, and uh, prizes will come at the next Faith Kids Church. So uh, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And then Paul states a little bit later in Philippians 1.27, just one thing, he says to the church, as citizens of heaven, bless you, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. That there is supposed to be a change in the way that we as Christians live. And we're supposed to measure our living against the value of the good news of Jesus Christ. And when we realize that God gave everything for life and godliness in the life and death and resurrection of His Son, when we compare values, it's kind of a, well, if God gave us all this, maybe some things should change in our lives. Live lives worthy of the gospel of Christ. Uh, and, And Paul begins to tell the church in Philippi and you and I what that kind of life looks like. He says in in chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. In other words, 
one of the first evidences of you and I living lives worthy of the good news of Jesus Christ is that we will begin to put the needs of others in our church family ahead of our own. And we're not just talking spiritual needs like, well, I'll pray for you, but literally to walk into a room and consider everyone in this fellowship as more important than yourself and all of their needs as more important than your own. And if everyone has that attitude, the joy will be that everyone's needs will be met. If no one has that attitude, then we will all be selfish loners and no one's needs will be met. And we see this in, in modern church, don't we? When we see it as, as people shop for a church that will meet their needs, instead of coming to a church where they can meet the needs of others and their own needs will be met because of the sacrificial love of the congregation. And that is what we're supposed to be about. And, and Paul gives us some detail about the person who serves as our inspiration. He says, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Now he goes on to explain what Jesus' attitude was. Jesus had all of the rights and privileges of being the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God. And he gave up that power and authority. He set it aside so that he could come and live in flesh like ours in a perfect and sinless life and then dying on the cross for the sins of all mankind, resurrected on the third day, and then glorified by the Father. So our attitude should be the same as that of Jesus. Giving up the things that belong to us and that we have every right to hold on to, but giving them up for the sake of believers. Now understand, this is, this is an attitude that should be birthed in the safety and love of the church fellowship first. And it's something we can carry out to the world around us and begin to show them the love of Christ. But how are we supposed to love people out there when we don't love and sacrifice for people in here? And that is an important thing to understand. And if you want your needs met in the congregation, then your first thing to do is to begin to meet the needs of others and to live out this attitude of self-sacrifice that Paul tells us Jesus sets the example for. So today, we are going to look at how this discussion continues in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. And it's a, it's a, a shorter passage, but it's, it's robust, and it's got lots of great stuff in there. So we are going to talk about the Christian workout today in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. And so if you've got your Bibles, I encourage you to open them up. If you've got your Bible app, you should find the notes in the Bible app under today's event And so here is what Paul writes to the church in Philippi, starting in uh, verse 12 of chapter 2. He says to them, Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling and arguing, so that you may be blameless and pure, children of God, who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation, among whom you shine like stars in the world, by holding firm to the word of life. Then I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor for nothing. 
But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you. In the same way, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. So as we go through this passage, we're going to see some things that the Apostle Paul writes to and, and, and gives to the church in Philippi and also to us. So in verses 12 through the beginning of 16, we're going to see this, this threefold encouragement, command, and process that he is giving the church in Philippi and by extension, giving all believers, us included, that we're supposed to be living out and fulfilling. So first we'll start with the encouragement because it's nice to start with the encouragement, right? Because you want, you walk into the room, you want someone to say, oh, you look nice today, right? Start with that. And then, and you're a terrible sinner and need to repent. Okay, we we move to that thing, uh, the bad part, but we want the good stuff first, just to feel a little better about where we are. Uh, So here, Paul begins with the encouragement. And it's in verse 12, the very first part of it. He says, therefore... My dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence. And so here we have the the, the passage, and it is the encouragement. And and we're going to look at these these words in order, that therefore, that my dear friends, and just as you have always obeyed. So when you see a therefore in Scripture, what is it meant to do? Well, it is meant to reflect back to what has just been said. And so when Paul writes to the Philippian church and to us, he says, therefore, and what he has just reflected upon is the obedience and the sacrificial life of Jesus, that he was willing to give up his own rights and privileges to set them aside, to set aside things like his omnipotence and his omniscience and his ability to be everywhere at all times to set those things aside in order to take on human flesh and walk just as you and I do. And then lived a perfect and sinless life and died in the most gruesome and frowned upon way upon a cross. Rose again on the third day to prove that he is who he says he is and that he can do what he says he can do and that he was glorified by the Father. So, Paul says, I want you to look back on that and inspire you to do what I'm going to ask. So therefore, and then he says, my dear friends. And so therefore is in light of Christ's sacrificial and obedient example, my dear brothers, my dear friends, my, 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 my most intimate ones. And, and the word in Greek literally means my beloved Paul loved the Philippian church with all of his heart. And we see this all the way back in the first chapter where where he really pours out that he longs to be with them, that he has a compassion and a a care for them that is, is unrivaled. And it all comes from their connection in Christ Jesus. And so he says to them, you are my beloved Isn't that encouraging? I mean, when somebody's going to be a little mean here in the next few words, and not mean, but forceful in telling you what to do, isn't it nice to know that they're doing it out of care, that they're doing it out of love? And so here, my, my dear brothers and sisters, my dear friends, my beloved, I want you to do something, and, and not just in my presence, but also in my absence. And it's really saying to them, listen, you have been so faithful up until now. You have been good followers of Jesus Christ, and I'm proud of you. You've been faithful in my presence, but now that I'm not here, I want you to learn how to be obedient when nobody else is watching. 
And really, isn't that the heart of what it means to be a changed person? That, that a lot of us, we can put on our masks and we can pretend to be good Christians when other people are around and watching. That, that you know, people who expect us to be nice. And sadly, a lot of us still, as soon as we get out of the car, the car in which we've been arguing and yelling and fighting and screaming at one another, we, we open the door and we get out and we put on the mask and when we walk in, how are you today? I'm fine. And we are pretending to be something that we're not. And we do that because when we're in other people's presence, it's easy to do that. And the Apostle Paul is saying, I've seen you live this Christian life in my presence, but now the really hard part comes. Taking off the mask and being who you are in Christ everywhere you go and in every opportunity that you have. And, and to be genuine believers amongst yourselves, first and foremost. So he's saying, I I know you can do this. So he's encouraging them, saying, Jesus did it, you can do it, and I love you. And now, here's the command. The command is this. The last little bit of chapter 2, verse 12. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And this is this... this, uh, Phrase right here, this is why we're calling it the Christian workout. Because it's not a workout like lifting weights. Because Paul has already told us in other, other books that that's worthless. To work out, I mean, it's got some value. And, um, but it, it really has no eternal value. So he's not talking about a physical act. He's talking about an, a, a new practice in your life. He's talking about drawing out from within what God has already done and making it an outward act. And so this isn't a work for or a work to earn your salvation. Understand, he's not saying do good works so that you can be saved. He is saying now that you're saved and I've seen it in you and I love you and we are in Christ together, now that you're saved, your salvation should be making a difference in how you live. So it's, it's work out your salvation, not to work for or work to earn, but instead it is a choice to make the truth of your salvation, which is an inward thing, manifest outwardly in the way that you behave. And so if you say that you're a Christian, something should change about you in a noticeable way. That you can be genuinely saved, and if you are, then you should be genuinely changed. And God has already done the hard work of changing you on the inside and giving you a new heart and making you a new creation. And now it's your task to work out the change on the inside to an outward expression. It's your job to be doing this both personally, so in your own quiet time, your own life, when no one else is around, but also corporately. As you live life together, you should be encouraging each other to to push the salvation from your heart out into action. And a lot of us, we get that, uh, you know, we we maybe when we were young, we, we invited Jesus to come live in our heart. First of all, That's a terrible way to explain salvation. But if you think of it that way, he already lives there. You're full of him now that you're a Christian. But it should be evidenced by how you live. And it should be that way when you're alone and especially 
when you're in the church. Because remember, when Paul is talking here, he's not talking necessarily about how we act to the world, but he's saying you, you, this is critical for you to act this way to other believers. This is how you become who you're supposed to be. Is inside the church, you learn how to live right. And, and we're supposed to do this working out with fear and trembling. Not in a pompous, well, I, I need to be better. And I mean, I'm already pretty good, but I need to be better. You know, but, but real evaluation of who we are and being honest with ourselves. The Apostle Paul in, in 1, Timothy, chapter 5, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, he says um, that this is a trustworthy saying that Christ Jesus came to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. And, and so here the missionary who started the church in Philippi and dozens of other churches and is critical to the life of the early church, the Apostle Paul, he says, I'm the worst sinner I know. I'm the one out of everybody in the world who needs to work out my salvation more than anyone else. And so when we come to this point of working out our salvation from a a change inside to a change outside in how we live, we're supposed to do it with fear and trembling. And, And when we look in the Old Testament and even in the New, when someone experiences God's presence, oftentimes they fall flat on their face. If you remember Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah, what what does he say when he sees God's presence and the altar and the cherubim and the seraphim? He says, woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. In other words, I, I can't even say the right things let alone do the right things. John, when he has his vision in Revelation, first of all, when he sees an angel, what does he do? He falls down flat on his face. When he gets into the vision in the throne room, he's flat on his face, he's worshiping. He can't help himself. That we are supposed to work out our salvation in humility and reverence toward God. Understanding that we can always get better. We can always look more like Jesus. If at any point in your walk as a Christian you think you've made it, unless you're dead, you haven't. You're lying to yourself. You are mistaken. And so this idea of fear and trembling is about being reverent before God and understanding there's always room for you to continue working out your salvation. And then the Apostle Paul after giving the the encouragement and the command, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, he says to the Philippian church, and here's the process. First of all, underneath the process, he says there is a means for this to happen. And he's not going to say, I want you to grit your teeth and clench your fists and be better people at all costs. But he's going to tell us that somebody else is actually doing the work And it's our job to make that work manifest or to push it out of our heart and into our actions. So if we look at verse 13, he says to the Philippian church and to us, For it is God who is working in you, both to will and to work according to his purpose. So the means by which we change, the means by which We work out our salvation is not fasting. It's not prayer necessarily. 
It's not a work that we will do, but it's an understanding, first and foremost, that God has already done the work in our hearts. He's at work inside of us. The change is happening, but are you going to acknowledge it or are you going to deny it? Are you going to acknowledge the change that's happening in your heart by the power of God? Or are you going to continue to live a selfish and self-motivated life? How is it that you're going to work out your salvation? And this is where the fear and trembling comes in. This is where the reverence comes in. If God is at work within you, then it is to respond to to Him and His presence that's already there in an act of submission on a regular basis, in an act of reverence toward Him, in an act of falling down on your knees to the God that is at work deep within you and submitting yourself more fully to Him. So it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to His good purpose. God, the means, He's the one that's working in you. And He's working in you to change your will or your desires. He's working in you to work, to change your abilities, so that you might accomplish His plan and His purpose for your life and the life of every believer. Working out your salvation. If God is at work within you and He's the one that is changing your desires and giving you the power to do what He's asking of you, what excuse do you and I have? And and the answer is honestly none. Other than apathy or complacency or rebellion against the very Word of God. See, it isn't God saying, do this thing and figure out how to make it happen on your own. It is that God commands us to work at our salvation, to be the kind of people that we're supposed to be within the congregation and then within the world. And He's going to do the work within us. He's going to change our hearts. He's going to change our desires. He's going to give us the ability. And our whole task is to submit Our whole task is to say, change me, grow me, help me to do what's right. And when your word tells me to do it, I know you'll make it possible. When your word tells me to stop it, I know that you'll make it possible, that you'll change my heart, that you'll give me the strength. I want to glorify you. I want to please you. I want to live according to your plan, God. And you're the one that'll make it possible. I submit myself to you in everything. Not read more, not pray more. Now those things can help and it could be that God will use those things. But listen, it's not doing this on your own strength. It begins with the practice of saying, God, I submit today to you. I trust in your power to change me. I trust in you giving me the strength to do what you've already clearly commanded. Help me to please you. Help me to live out this life according to your plan and purpose. Now, that is not an excuse. Remember, if he's given you everything you need for life and godliness, which is what 2 Peter tells us, what excuse do you have? Well, if you're a parent, you know the frustration of giving a child everything they need for success and them still refusing to succeed. I mean, even if you've got great kids, it happens. You give them everything they need for success and they still say, I don't think so. I like failure and video games. 
And, and, and that's just kind of where it goes. And that's not to pick on anybody. Students don't look and think, he's talking about me. My kids, I'm not talking about you. But sometimes in life, we're, we give somebody all they need for success and they still rebel against it. God has given us everything we need to succeed as believers. In fact, he is doing the work within us. And he will change and is changing our desires. And he's giving us the strength to do the right things. It's our job to work that out in submission and allow it to happen in our lives. So that was the means. God is the means. He's the one that will do the work, that will make it possible. And then this is the method. Here's what Paul says. Do the things you like without grumbling and arguing. Right? Wouldn't that be nice if that's what he wrote? Do the things you like without grumbling and arguing. No, he says, do everything without grumbling and arguing. Now, what is excluded from everything? Nothing. And so, if you're going to do nothing, no. But, but you are supposed to do, you and I as believers, if you say that Jesus is your Savior and that you are a, a, a Christian then the first act, Paul says, to become that Christian who grows in maturity is to do everything without grumbling and arguing. Now, it starts in the church. So it means when you get asked to teach Sunday school, you don't go... And that's grumbling here. It's a picture of the, the children of Israel. And, and, and it says that they grumbled against Moses and they complained about the, the, the way that Moses was leading them. And, and they actually earned disfavor with God because of their complaining. And, and we're supposed to be doing everything without complaining and everything without arguing or strife or causing contention. And, and we're also supposed to be, here's the methodology, holding firm to the Word of God. Grabbing a hold of Scripture and basing our whole life around it. And so the method... For working out your salvation is to daily make a choice to pursue a lifestyle of thankfulness and peacefulness and unity and self-sacrifice. It begins in the church, but it should trickle over into our families and our workplaces. If you are known at work as the person who is always stirring up trouble and complaining and arguing and you know you you are the one who if there were peace you destroy it it's time for you to begin the process of daily choosing to work out your salvation with fear and trembling and live a lifestyle of thankfulness one of pursuing peace one of looking to be unified and and choosing to sacrifice your own rights and privileges for the good of others if, if you in the church, and I don't know of anybody like this, but maybe there's a, you know, some subgroups and you're known like this amongst your friends, you, you're known as being the grumbler or the complainer or the arguer. It's time for you to start trying to be thankful. It's time for you to allow the, the peacefulness that comes from Christ to ooze out through you and change the room that you're in. It's time for you to start pursuing unity and living self-sacrificially. Because the, the, the goal is for all of us to make faithfulness to Scripture a personal and corporate priority. Something that we do well together in our own private life and 
in our life as a church. And, and we can give some examples about making Scripture, faithfulness to Scripture, a priority. Ephesians 5.18 says, Do not be drunk with wine which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, that is a very clear command. What are we not supposed to do according to Scripture? Be drunk. Right? So, so you might say, well, but what about Friday nights? And it, it doesn't, there's not like a little comma, uh, don't be drunk with wine, comma, except on Friday night when there's a really good reason, comma, but be, be filled with, which leads to debauchery. It, no. And, and don't feel like I'm picking on anybody because this is just an easy one to talk about, right? That, that it is instead a clear understanding. Scripture says it without question. So we don't find excuses. We seek to, to make faithfulness to what Scripture says a personal priority and a corporate priority, holding one another accountable for what Scripture says. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Yeah, but you don't understand. I mean, come on, God. How could I help myself? No, there, there aren't outs. Now, there's grace when we fall, right? Understand that. Even for the believer, it's not like you get saved and then you have to be perfect. Instead, the Apostle Paul talks about doing the things I don't want to do and not doing the things I want to do in Romans chapter 7. And, and, and then cries out, who will save me from this, this body of flesh that continually wants to rebel against God? And he says, it's only in Jesus that I'll find freedom. And then if, uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When you are fighting this battle against sin and being faithful to Scripture, you are without condemnation when you have repented of that sin and turned back to Christ and asked forgiveness. But it's so important for you to understand that His desire for each and every one of us, the method by which we will really live out our salvation, it, it, one of the two parts is to make faithfulness to Scripture a priority in our life. And so when Scripture says, do not do this, don't do it. There's forgiveness if you fall, but work to not do it. Choose to not do it. Submit to the power of God within you that you might not do it. Faithfulness to Scripture. When, when it says, do this, you should do this. Live in peace. Submit one to another. These are commands that we are supposed to be faithful to. That, that all the way back in, in chapter 2, in the very beginning, uh, I'm going to flip to it real quick here. This one. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as better than yourself. Do you know what that is? It's not a suggestion. It's a command. It's a command, a clear command of Scripture. And this is one of the commands that we should be faithful to amongst so many others. And so it's important for us to understand that we are supposed to be pursuing the method of working at our salvation, of people being able to see that we're not only changed on the inside, but changed through and through and glorifying Christ is that lifestyle of thankfulness. And to make faithfulness to Scripture a priority in all that we do. Now, here in, in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 5, uh, Moses is, is recounting, he's sharing with the children of Israel who have survived the 40 years wandering in the desert, telling them their own history. And, and he tells them this about their parents and grandparents. His people have acted corruptly toward him. This is, they are, this is their defect. They are not his children, but a devious and crooked 
generation. Moses describes the children of Israel, God's chosen people who refused to live out life according to God's word, not his children, and a devious and crooked generation. Which is what Paul is referring back to here in Philippians 2.15. He says, I want you to do two things. The method by which you will live out your faith is to do everything without arguing or complaining or arguing and to focus on God's word so that, this is the result, so that you may be blameless and pure children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation among whom you shine like stars in the world. You see, he's referring back to Exodus. When God's people refused to do and to live out their chosenness, he rejected them. And he called them crooked and he called them perverted. And he said, you're no longer my children. Now, what's important for us to understand as Christians is that while our salvation is sure, the only way to know that we're really saved is that we begin to live the changed inside outwardly. And we walk as children of God, faultless, shining like stars. And this is the goal. This is the result. He says, so that you may be blameless. If we look um, in in the Greek, the the word really, uh, it, it can mean may show yourselves to be blameless. So it's both a state of being and a clear expression that everyone around you can see that you are a believer. You are saved. You begin to take what's hidden inside, the power of God, the changed heart, the changed will, and you begin to live it out and everyone can see that you are revealing yourself to be blameless, immune to accusation, In other words, you, especially in the church, but in your household and in your job, you are the kind of person that nobody can walk in and go, oh yeah, but you. Instead, you're the kind of person where when there are issues, you are viewed as blameless. Now, this is the goal, right? And so we're growing in this. Some of us, more than others, are not perfect, And yet, the desire is for all of us to live out our faith and to look more like Jesus, to be blameless, immune to accusation, to be pure. And the word pure is is a picture of an undiluted wine, wine without water, without any kind of of, uh, thing that makes it undesirable. The word, Jesus uses it uh, in in, uh, the Gospels, and, and it really means innocent to evil. In other words, you don't know evil. You have no idea what evil is. And you know, in in today's day and age, it's really hard to be naive, isn't it? I I mean, either if you're a naive kind of person, you get taken advantage of. But but we have so much information, you just pull out your phone. It's hard to protect yourself from evil. It's hard to be innocent to evil. You might click on a news article because you want to know what's going on in Washington, D.C. And you get to the bottom of it and there are scantily clad members of the opposite sex. It's hard to remain innocent to evil. But as we grow in Christ-likeness, as we do everything without grumbling or arguing, and we focus on living out the Word of God, we will be, we will reveal ourselves to be 
innocent to evil. We will be called children of God. And, and, and that should be such a, a, a beautiful thing for you. Some of us have had terrible family lives, or we have been rejected by a parent or both parents, and it has been difficult for us to find our identity. When we grow in Christ-likeness, our identity will be in Him. We will be part of His family. We will be beloved and adopted and given an inheritance, and we should be really excited about that. We will be faultless without spiritual blemish. In other words, when God looks at your heart, he will see nothing but the purity of his son. And then it says, we will be shining like stars in a crooked and perverse world. That we will be the ones who know truth and everyone will look to us as we live it out. The church has lost its reputation. Did you know that? The, the, the pastor's used to actually be among the most highly respected members of society in surveys and interviews back in the 30s, 40s, and 50s and into the early 60s. Nowadays, we're kind of (laughs) low. And it's because too many pastors and too many church members and too many people who name the name of Christ are not shining stars, children of God, they have instead adopted the practices of a crooked and perverse generation and look just like everybody else around them. And so we are called to live out and be different, to be living a different life. Daniel 12.3 says this about shining stars. He says, Those who have insight will shine like the bright expanse of the heavens and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. It's this beautiful picture that Daniel gives us of people who have wisdom, people who are righteous, shining like stars to give direction to others. If you were, you know, a few generations ago out sailing at night, how do you find your way? The stars. You're out hiking, you're out traveling. At night, you find your direction by the stars. We're supposed to be the kind of people who have worked out our salvation by ending the grumbling and complaining and the arguing, by living out the Word of God, that when people look at us, they see a a mark that they can follow. They can judge where they are in life from us. That's what we're supposed to be like. So, we have this encouragement You're beloved. You've done okay so far. I know you can do more. We have the command, which is, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We've been given the process. The means is the power of God and the the work of God within us. The method is to stop our grumbling and arguing and to live out the fullness of God's scripture. And the result will be that we'll be pure, we'll be holy, we'll be blameless, we'll be like stars in the heaven giving people direction in this life. We will be children of God. And now we get to the point where he adds something else. There is rejoicing. He says this, then if this is what works out in your life, if you start working out your salvation with fear and trembling, then I can boast in the day of Christ. The day of Christ. Anybody know what that's referring to? The day Jesus returns. 
When, when Jesus comes back from heaven and assumes his rightful role as king of creation, the king of kings, the lord of lords, and all of evil in this world will be wiped out, and those who have believed on him as lord and savior will be brought into eternity in new bodies, and we will live a perfect and sinless life from that day forward with him as our ruler. Paul says, then I can boast when Jesus returns that I didn't run or labor for nothing, but even if I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. In the same way, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Paul says, if you are sacrificing, if you are giving, if you are working out your salvation, I'll be overjoyed when Jesus returns because I know that my life meant something. And I'm so excited to pour my life out like a sacrifice for you so that you'll grow and, and this, this, uh, this drink offering, when we picture it, it's not like uh, sharing a Mountain Dew in the youth group, you know, where everybody gets a little sip. This, a drink offering is, is instead, it's this practice of taking the finest of libations and pouring the whole jar out and sacrificing it to God. And, and, you know, some of you go, well, but couldn't we just save a sip? I mean, that would, like, that would glorify God if I enjoyed it, just a sip. No, it all gets poured out for the sake of glorifying God. And that's what Paul's talking about, his own life. It's like a jar of the finest wine that's being poured out for the sake of the Philippian church and God's glory. And that excites him. He says, I want you to see that my life is being poured out for you and I want you to rejoice because I'm rejoicing with you. And that's what the goal of all of this is. Not so that we can walk around and say, I'm a good person who has worked out my salvation. But instead so that when Jesus returns, we can all rejoice together that we did all that we could to walk in his power, in his glory and in accordance with the commands that he's given to us. So application today as we, we look back through this, some, some phrases that are important for us to, to see what Paul said to the, the Philippian church. Number one, he said to them and he said to us, you are saved if you have trusted on Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You are saved. There is an assurance you are beloved. You are my brothers and sisters. You have already begun to see in your own life bits and pieces of the change that God desires for you. It's there. I see it. You are saved. Now, if you have never trusted on Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can work really hard to be a good person, but you will never be able to work out your salvation because you, you don't have it. It's only in Christ Jesus that we can be saved from the death that sin brings to us. It's only by trusting on Him as the one Son of God who came and, and lived a perfect sinless life as man and then died on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins, was buried and rose again on the third day. It's only by believing on that and trusting in His work on the cross for your sins. That's the only way you can be saved. That's the only way this process starts. And if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you're curious, it's time to talk to somebody. It's time to ask questions. But once you've made that profession of faith, you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt, even if there's just the glimmer of change and growth in your life, that you are saved. 
But it's also important for you to understand that you must work out your salvation. Not work for, but the truth that you are saved should make a difference in how you live. So you are saved and you are in the process of being saved. In other words, applying salvation to every aspect of your life. And bit by bit, things should change. Our relationships should change. The way we behave at work should change. The way we treat children should change. The way we love one another in the church should change. You're supposed to work out your salvation in humility, by God's provision, by eliminating grumbling and arguing, and holding to Scripture, and that results in blamelessness, purity, faultlessness, and becoming bright, shining children of God. You should change. You're being saved if you submit to Christ. And here's the really exciting part. The day will come where all of us will be finally and completely saved. And the fight will be over. And this battle with our sinfulness and our brokenness, it will end. Because we will all see Jesus face to face. And guess what? It'll be a good day. We will rejoice together. So the challenge for all of us is to take what we've heard and to take this command, work out your salvation, and to take the methodology, stop grumbling and arguing. Live out Scripture faithfully. To take those and to do something with them. And today, the choice for some of us is like really easy. I know exactly what I need to do. I need to stop complaining about everything. And in our family, and it comes from me, because I'm a bit of a negative Nancy, complaining is like a pastime. It's like some of your families, you play board games. Uh, Our family, we just sit around and complain. Um, We find what's wrong with everything. Well, that was too hot. That was too cold. It was too crunchy. It was too soft. My clothes are scratchy. They're not scratchy enough. I mean, it's just, it's like everything. We're really good at it. But it's something that we should work on as a family. It's something that we should stop doing as we mature in our faith. And, and maybe in your life, you could see grumbling, complaining, arguing. These are things you need to be submitting to the power of God. There should be peacefulness in our homes as believers. We're not perfect. We will have days. But overall, there should be peacefulness. And it should be something we should be pursuing. That, that we should be living out God's word clearly. Some of you are maybe making wrong choices with your bodies, even now. And God is convicting you as you hear this to stop treating the temple of God as though it were yours to do with as you please. To stop finding loopholes in Scripture with clear commands. Don't be drunk with wine. Don't commit adultery. Don't even think about adultery. To be kind, to be generous, to give to receive with grace. These are all things that we're commanded to do. And maybe you have been neglecting a clear command of Scripture and God's laying that on your heart today. And that's what you need to begin with to work out your salvation. But be confident. You are saved. This is not a verse that should make you go, I don't know if I'm saved if I'm not perfect. Instead, it is a verse that should make you say to yourself, because I know I'm saved, I want to grow in perfection. 
And then the day will come for all of us who have trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and walked faithfully with Him in this life where we will be ultimately saved and we can rejoice. And we won't have any more problems with being grumpy or complaining. We won't have any more problems with arguing and fussing at one another. We won't have any more temptations to adultery or to drunkenness or to lying or to cheating or to stealing. We won't covet things. Instead, we will be fully saved, rejoicing together that God has been faithful to all of his promises. Even as he's asking us today to be faithful to this command, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Because ultimately, for all of us, to live is to Christ. In other words, it's for his glory, not ours. But when we die, it will be to our gain because we will finally, finally be fully saved and joining in his presence. So this morning, if you've got something you need to talk about, to confess, to ask for help in, I want to encourage you to talk to somebody, whether that's an elder, a Sunday school teacher, a deacon, a friend, to confess, to ask for help, to please hold me accountable. Or if you just have questions and need to talk, come ask. I love questions. Sometimes I have answers. And sometimes we have to go to Scripture together to find them. But remember, all of this is for the glory of God and ultimately our good as we enter into his presence. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Let's pray together and then we'll sing one final song. Father, we thank you for today. I thank you for all the students, all the kids who've been so faithful in listening and paying attention and and being respectful of your service and, and your word. I am so pleased to see what you're doing in our midst, Father. To watch adults who are, are growing and, and, and able to see you as, as not just God out there, but God in here and Savior and friend. We pray that today, in knowledge that those of us who've made professions that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, we thank you that today we're saved that today you're at work within us, changing our desires, giving us the power to walk in faithfulness. And so help us this week and in the weeks and months and years to come to begin to live by doing everything without complaining or arguing. And to remind ourselves that to complain is to be unthankful that to argue is to be selfish and self-centered. Instead, help us to be thankful and self-sacrificing. And then as your word speaks clear truths to us, help us to live them out faithfully. I know that today, someone is struggling with a clear command that they're disobedient to. And I know that because even I struggle with those clear commands sometimes. So help us all to walk faithful to your word. Help us all to cast aside those things that are wrong and to do those things that your word commands us to do that are right. To pray, to worship, to love, to care for others. Thank you for being our power and our strength in all of this. And Lord Jesus, I am so thankful that one day you will return. And on that day, we can all rejoice because the striving will be over. Our salvation will be clearly evident to all. 
and we will be renewed for eternity to live with you. Help us to be faithful today. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and sing this last song together. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that He should give His only Son to make a wretch's treasure. How great the pain of searing loss The Father turns His face away As wounds which mar the chosen one Bring many sons to glory Behold the man upon a cross My sin upon his shoulders Ashamed I hear my mocking voice Call out among the scoffers It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished His dying breath has brought me life I know that it is finished I will not boast in anything No gifts, no power, no wisdom but I will boast in Jesus Christ, His death and resurrection. Why should I gain from His reward? I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my heart is have paid my ransom How deep the Father's love for us How vast beyond all measure That He should give His only Son To make a wretch His treasure Because we are his treasure, we want to live lives worthy of this beautiful gospel, this beautiful truth and life change that we've been given. And one way we do that is to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. May you do so this week and be blessed as you see the power of God within you changing the way you live outward toward others couple of quick things. I don't think we're going to have tomorrow night's Bible study, but be on the lookout for an email. Steve is not feeling well. 
Wednesday night women's study is off for the time being until uh, there's an announcement otherwise uh, just because of weather, COVID, and other concerns. And of course, youth, you guys are still meeting Thursday nights at 6 for snack, 6.30 for youth craziness and coolness in the gospel. And, and uh, then um, we're always interested, if you have a musical gift, especially an instrumentational one, uh, if we would love to, to uh, have you talk with Jay or myself about trying out for the worship team. Um, just weather and stuff has kept us kind of uh, sparse. And so, if you, especially if you're a drummer, I think, um, and guitar players, and if you play the kazoo, I think we'd even take that at this point, as long as you're good at it, right? The jaw. Anyway, I could give the whole list, but I won't. Um, but but just know that there are places to serve here as well as as uh, learn and grow. And please, everybody, consider Sunday Bible School next week, and uh, joining us at 9:37. God bless. Have a great week. May God's face just shine down upon you. And may his goodness and favor follow you everywhere you go. See you guys later.